Welcome to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. Ross Brannan is a financial advisor who knows it's not just about your teeth. He helps dental practice owners protect and maximize today's cash flow to plan for tomorrow's cash needs. Find him at rossbrannan.com. On the show, he brings together experts to help dental professionals looking to make smart money decisions to grow their income, turn their retirement goals into reality, and improve their lives. And now, here's your host, Ross Brannan. Welcome to the show. Today, we have Todd Blackmar. Todd is a transition consultant at Bridgeway Practice Transitions. Todd, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ross. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Just to clarify, because Todd has had this mistake happen before, (laughs) when we talk about transitions, we are referring to the sale of a dental practice. I know we live in a unique world today, and that means different things to different people, the word transitioning. And I only say that because Todd's had people set appointments with him to talk about that other issue, which... I find absolutely hilarious. And if someone's offended on the phone while well, listening in, I'm sorry. So anyway, Todd, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Tell us a little bit about what you and Bridgeway Practice Transitions does. Yeah, so thanks thanks again for having me, Ross. What, what we do at Bridgeway Transitions are basically we help dentists sell, private dentists mostly, sell one of their largest assets that they've accumulated throughout their career. We help them sell it in a way that uh, sets them up for the last um, chapter of their lives. And it also gives a new budding uh, buyer of dental practice, a new dentist, um, a chance to get started with patients. So I manage that whole process and... Um, sell the practice for them, and then make sure that they're propelled into the next chapter of their life uh, in good shape. Yeah, what's unique about you guys is you're not uh, enamored with the DSO world and going after the mega practices. You guys are only private to private, correct? That's correct. That's correct. We focus on the, the private dentists. There's other people that maybe focus on the corporate world, but that's not us. Yeah, and that's interesting. And so what's unique about you guys is you guys focus on private to private. You are not in the DSO world at all. Is that right? Correct. We're not. And a lot of people can become enamored with the DSO world because the transactions are a lot larger, but you guys do a fairly large number of transactions. I think you said like 50 plus a year, but your average price is a lot smaller. Talk a bit, talk a little bit about why you guys chose to be in the world of higher volume, lower price, as opposed to what some would say is the sexier side of practice transition with the DSOs. Sure. We figure that everybody deserves a, a chance at a transition. 100,000, 200,000 to one person might be like a million or 2 million to, to someone else. We try to treat every retiring dentist with the respect for everything they've built during their career and make sure that they all can leave with a little bit of a nest egg because there are buyers for the smaller practices as well. And if we just focused on the sort of the low hanging fruit, that just wasn't the kind of company that my boss wanted to build. My boss wanted to build an organization that could help everybody. And we can't, truth is we cannot help everybody, but we certainly try to help as many people as we can. And you said before, before there were people like Bridgeway around, you would just have practices that could just close 
and the guy, the dentist would walk away and, and there was no sale or compensation of anything in that scenario. Is that right? Absolutely. They would just say it's been a nice run, whatever they've saved over their lifetime, they saved and they would just close the business. And we and the predecessors of our company saw an opportunity to have them depart with something because these relationships that dentists form all their lives uh, are meaningful and their endorsement means a lot. And patients will usually come to the successor dentist if they're endorsed by the one they've trusted for years and years. So that's the retiring dentist. So you guys do about 50 transactions a year. I think you told me the average sales price was $600,000. Talk about low-end and high-end pricing. The average is six hundred, but there's lots of – that could go a lot of different ways from a price standpoint. What is your – what's the range of prices you guys sell for? Yeah, so I myself at any one time like to carry no more than like 30 listings. And my listings go anywhere from 150000 to a few million. And then the real estate on top of those things can also add to that. What do you see? And the real estate is usually sold in conjunction with a practice or is it, is it kept or is it separate? What do you typically see? Yeah. So it's usually sold in conjunction with the practice. That's the best time. That's when the banks like to loan the money for the practices at the same time. And what, what's unique about the private to private market versus the DSO market that a lot of people wouldn't know? The private to private market is each party is on level footing. They're both basically dentists, not super sophisticated, high profile business people. They're, they've run a business all their life, a small business, but there's in the DSO world, there seems to be an imbalance of power between the buyer who's usually super sophisticated and then just a single dentist. So we don't enjoy that. We want two parties that are on equal footing. We want there to be a lot of goodwill, a lot of professional respect, and we foster a great relationship on that. So many times in the DSO world, you'll see, hey, you're going to get whatever multiple they're going to quote, and your EBITDA is going to be whatever EBITDA it is. And so you, you think you have this real big number, but invariably, it always gets chipped down away over a period of time because there's a quality of earnings or this or that or this or that. Do you tend to see that in your world? Yeah, definitely. But we try from the very beginning because we're dual representation. We work with the buyer as well. So our philosophy is basically to discourage negotiation. We put a lot of time on the front end to try and appraise the practice for what's reasonable and to tell the buyer, don't negotiate it. Because anytime there's negotiation like that or explaining down the price and that sort of thing, you're going to lose goodwill along the way. So the bridge way, way of doing things is to appraise it fairly, which often isn't as much money as the seller would like, but have the buyer pay the fair price. That way, we don't get upset during the negotiation phase. It's not like buying a car or buying a house. You are going to see that person. There is going to be a transition period, and we need to just maintain that relationship and that respect. That's critical because they're going to endorse you for their patients. So if you beat them down, that while you may win on closing day, you may not win 12 or 24 months down the road. 
That's exactly it. And I, I wish you could be there to explain that to a lot of my clients with because you get it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that is interesting. Now, what, are there a lot of dentists out there who have just smaller practices who don't realize the value they could get out of their practice? Are, are people still trying to close their practices down today? Are they aware that there's a way to sell and make some money on the sale of practice? Or well, we're doing our best to get the word out on that. I think when we had COVID and there were a lot of restrictions from the state and different ways to do things and people quitting and taking unemployment and doing all these things, I think a lot of people did just close. But I came in right around that time. And there seemed to be a real pent-up demand, at least in Ohio, where I cover, where people were just ready to go. They were ready to sell. They made it through COVID. Their business lived. Their business was healthy. But they were tired of everything they had to do with all the employees, et cetera, and they were ready to sell. So I think we're still riding that wave of people that wanted to make it through COVID. Some people didn't make it through COVID with their business. They just closed up and said, you know what, I'm just not going to weather the storm. We don't know how long it's going to go on. But those that made it are now ready to sell. Do you, do you ever come across any sellers who tried to sell to a DSO and they became so disillusioned that they said, no, I want to sell to a private buyer? Yes. And I love the DSOs because they make me some awesome clients. Just about everybody's had a bad experience with the DSO. The buyers, maybe they were young dentists that went and worked there and they hated it. They either had to quit dentistry or buy a practice. So those are my good buyer clients are usually the ones that have been gotten a lot of great experience with the DSOs. I had to work very quickly, but just didn't enjoy their life. So they become very good buyers for me. And then I have a lot of sellers that tried to engage with DSOs because report, purportedly they'll pay more money for a practice, but they don't really give you more money. They tell you they give you more money, but they keep some of it back and they create impossible conditions for these sellers to meet. And so they never do end up paying full price for the practices, or a lot of times they don't. So those sellers, a lot of times they'll walk away, they'll want a new practice, or the next time around, they won't sell it the DSO route, they'll sell it the private route. While selling to a DSO is a possibility, I much prefer just working with the private dentists that have learned those lessons. Yeah, that's interesting. And is the trend, is the closing time typically quicker in a private transaction versus a DSO transaction? Yes, I, I think it, it generally is. The agreements uh, are written by our company based on best practices that we've learned over thousands of transactions that we've done. They're not a phone book sized manual that nobody could ever read or understand. They're a simple you know, 20, 30 page contract that's very boilerplate and then just tweaked according to the individual circumstances. But it's everything that we know works. How long is the transition period typically with the seller and buyer in one of your transactions? Typically 60 to 90 days could be quicker and it, it could take longer. It just depends on what's going on in everyone's life and how much uh, attentive they are to, to just getting it done quickly. So it's not too long. No, it's, it's really not. It's, it's a little longer than buying a house. What do you typically see the patient retention rate from the old practice, the old owner to the new owner? I think that's where we come in. If it's handled the right way, I think that the patient retention rate is really good. But if the buyer blows through the stop signs that I try to put up and tries to just negotiate every little thing, 
and loses the goodwill, they might not transfer as many patients, if even if they make it to the finish line. But these are extremely emotional decisions for people a lot of times, especially the seller. The seller's got 30, 40, 50 years of emotions build up in this practice. Don't hit them. Don't hit them up for $5,000 and cost yourself $100,000 in patient retention. That's my message to the buyer. What is the retention rate for staff? I think it's very high, but again, it's how we handle it. It's when do we tell them? How do we tell them? Basically, just like everything else, if you follow our method and you treat your you, you treat the other party with respect and you treat the employees with respect, then the chance that all the employees that need to keep working are still going to work. Generally, we have a pretty good idea and we can advise the buyer, but we can never guarantee that the staff will stay. But if we tell them at the appropriate time and handle it the right way, they will. Is there any sort of holdback? Where if a percentage of um, patients aren't retained, that the seller owes the buyer some amount of compensation, or is that not a part of the contracts? No, not generally a part of the contracts. Uh, occasionally, there would be a holdback, but we discourage that. We don't think we don't think those. We like a nice, clean deal. That's what we try in every way to do. However, every situation is different, but we we just like it to be a nice, clean deal that works for all priced fairly, not heavily negotiated. Uh, and most of your clients are typically older and are retiring dentists. Is that accurate? Yes. Yeah. They're, they're anywhere from 60 to 80, I would say. And what would advice would you give a dentist who's been practicing for 30, 40, maybe even 50 years, and they've never thought about selling, but, but they're just tired. Maybe they're burned out. Maybe they're just ready to tra transition, move to something else, but they don't even know where to start. Yeah, that's so, an excellent they, question. What, what do you tell them? So what I tell them is I'll drive up and meet you wherever it is in the state. No obligation. I'll come there. I'll sit down with you. I'll talk to you about what's really bothering you why do you feel like now's the right time why don't you feel now is the right time because we have other ways besides selling the practice we have other ways to help them sometimes we can put an associate dentist or a younger dentist in the practice to work for a couple of years take some of that burden off of the seller so that they can build the practice up and then sell it later for maybe a higher number that's another service that my company offers is associate placement. We get a lot of dentists their first job. So there's another person at Bridgeway that does that in Ohio, but he and I trade customers back and forth. Sometimes he'll get somebody that thinks they want to work in a practice, but they want things customized and individual that he tells them, you know what, you just need to buy a practice because nobody has that. Sometimes I have people that don't really want to buy. They think they do, but they don't. And I send them to him to get placed. Or I have a guy that really doesn't want to sell, but he's tired. So he needs help. So we have a number of ways to help people at Bridgeway. And what I do is the mergers and acquisitions, but we have other people that do other things. And you're based in Ohio and you guys are in five states. What five states are you guys in? So we're in Georgia, Ohio, Virginia, North Carolina, and I've sold um, some in Kentucky as well. Now, could you guys work with someone in Colorado if they called you? Maybe. state. We have to go state by state. And some states require different licensure. I would like to work Michigan. 
but I can't. I don't have a real estate license at this moment, which you need in Michigan. And I think Florida is protectionist too. I think that you have to have some different credentials to work in Florida. So we're not there, but that's somewhere I hope to be at some point as well. That's what every Midwesterner says. They said, they say, we want to get to Florida, especially this yeah. time when we're starting to get cold. So right. uh, what, as we wind down, what last pieces of advice would you give someone who is considering selling their practice? I'd say have us for a no obligation chat. I'd like to come and, and people that do this uh, with my company in other states, like just come sit down and listen to you. And I would say, don't wait too long. Almost everybody waits too long. They they don't call me when they're on top of their game. They call me after about three years too late when the practice has continually declined. So I'd say have that conversation about three years out from when you think you want to and start earlier than you think because it can take up to a year. Nice. Now, if, how, how do people get in touch with you? They want to learn more. So if they want to learn more, go to bridgewaypracticetransitions.com. And we have a great website there and we have some LinkedIn pages and we have other social media accounts. Just check us out there. We're all friendly people that are, you know, always want to do the right thing and put the client first. Todd, this has been very interesting. I, it's not often we come across a transition uh, specialists who deal in the private, the private market. It's definitely a little bit different. I, I like, I like hearing about it. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, Ross. I really appreciate it. Sure thing. You've been listening to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brand. This has been another episode of Financial Flossing with Ross Brannon, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. For more on Ross Brannon, visit rossbrannon.com. Ross Brandon is a registered representative, Coastal Equities, Inc., and investment advisory representative, Coastal Investment Advisors, Inc. Investment advisory services are offered through Coastal Investment Advisors, Inc., and securities are offered through Coastal Equities, Inc. Member FINRA, SIPC, 1201 North Orange Street, Suite 729, Wilmington, Delaware, 19801. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>